Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, May 13th, we are studying Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Christians do not experience the effects of sin and suffering in this present age all alone. The whole creation groans under the weight of corruption. Yet these groans are made in hope. Hope of the cosmic redemption that God has won and given in his son, Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Looking forward to our, our conversation today. As we get started this morning, give us some context in Romans 8 and the, the whole epistle, if you want. Where has Paul been leading up to this moment? Uh, well, he's gone through, I don't know how far back you want me to go. <laughs> um, up to you. <laughs> if you if you go back to, um, let's go back to chapter 6. That's a lot of our listeners. Hopefully we'll, we'll have that one as a, a high point. Um, that's the great baptismal chapter. Um, so you have been united with Christ um, in, a ba- in baptism. You've been joined to his death and his resurrection. So you have that hope of resurrection. Then in chapter 7, uh, you get uh, Paul kind of... Um, talking about the ongoing struggle of being at the same time, uh, what do we say, sinner and saint, right? Serving the law uh, of Christ in your mind, but seeing the law of sin at work in your own members. And then um, in chapter eight here, he's going to talk about, um, he's just gotten done talking about being adopted as sons of God, right? Um, being being adopted through, through faith. Um, but now he's sort of sort of looking at, okay, so you've been adopted, there's this great thing, but it, in some way it's kind of like a return to chapter 7, um, where in chapter 7 he's talking about the internal struggle of the Christian, continuing to fight against sinful desires and, uh, and you know, the indwelling um, flesh. But here in chapter 8 now he expands that to look at um, our place in the world around us. There is sin not only uh, having its effect in my own body, in my own mind, in my own thinking. Um, but there's also the effects of sin in the world around us. Uh, we had a professor, I went to uh, the seminary in Fort Wayne, and uh, he said it's sort of, you can think of it this way, the law reveals certainly our own sins, um, but it also serves as a mirror into the world around us and shows the the sinful effects at work in the world. And so how does a Christian um, in chapter eight here, the passages we're going to look at, how do we deal with, how do we think about the, um, the suffering that, and the corruption that is at work in the world around us? Is, is there a bit of a return even to, to some of the themes that Paul developed in chapter one here? I'm, I'm thinking back to, to the very beginning when he started laying out man's unrighteousness. He, he talked about, I mean, it's, it's been a while, I, I sure. feel like, since he's really gotten as cosmic as he will here. But chapter one, I think, is is about as close as I can, at least in my memory of, of what we've gone so far in Romans. Chapter one, he talks about that we should have, man should have known God from his divine power seen in creation. 
And and now that I mean, it's, and that was for the purpose of revealing man's unrighteousness, chapter in chapter one. Now he's he's going to go cosmic in scope on us again, but for a, a different purpose to see the effects of sin and unrighteousness, and yet to recognize the hope that we have in Christ. Yeah, maybe uh, you know, as you're talking, maybe chapter five too, with uh, the whole app, right. you know, death came into the world through the one man Adam, and then it reigned through all men. Um, and that would be part of when we're going to talk here about creation groaning under the weight of futility. There, that's an aspect of the futility of the world is that it always corrupts, right? It always corrodes. Um, but then the hope that Christ brings as the greater Adam, the second Adam, who is who's bringing uh, eternal life and his righteousness is going to, uh, how does the, I'm thinking of the Christmas hymn now, um, he makes his blessings flow as far as the curse mm. is found. So the curse from Adam spread through the whole world and the blessing of Christ is going to also uh, reign throughout the whole world. Mm. Yeah, there, there are definitely echoes of Genesis 3 in several parts here, and especially, I'm glad you brought up Romans 5, and again here in, in 8, the echoes of that fall into sin, the creation groaning is going to, to come into play again. Before we get into the text, just this, this matter that we're going to see in terms of the effects of sin— and then the hope of creation for this redemption that Paul's talking about. Why, I mean, so far in Romans, particularly in chapter 7, it is very easy to think about Christianity as individuals. I mean, Paul even uses mm-hmm. that I language, first person singular, at the end of yeah. chapter 7 to describe his own struggle, and, and each Christian can join him in that I. Here Paul's going to expand it to the whole creation, and it, it's something that's, and again, it hasn't been missing. It's been there, as we've been saying, but maybe not a focus. Why is this important for us as Christians to recognize the cosmic aspect? And I'm using the word cosmic. That was the word, word you used, but worldwide, universal, maybe, uh, aspect of, of yeah. what God has done in Christ. I think it's important because um, you, you, we don't want to, and I think this is maybe pre- prevalent for us, um, Christianity is not just a, like, um, a subjective subjective sort of religion, right? So it's not just, um, I've sometimes put it this way, it's not just about me and Jesus, right? Um, What Christ has done has ramifications for the whole world. And the things that we believe are not just like Tim and David, you know, our own personal private thoughts about stuff, our own personal beliefs. Um, We're not, we're not uh, relativistic, about um, what Christ has done. Um, There's an objectivity to what he's done, his death as a universal atonement, his resurrection, um, the sending of the Spirit. These things are outside of us, right? And the hope that we have is not just a private me and Jesus thing. It is a hope for all of the whole world. And I think that this, this, um, I would just emphasize that not to denigrate you know, the personal uh, aspect of our faith. Our faith is always personal, um, but it's not private, if I can put it that way. Um, There is a public aspect and a universal scope to what Jesus has done. And and I think it's it's, that magnifies his work, right? When you think of um, Christ coming into the world, um, certainly you need to to understand that personally. He came for me, um, but he also came uh, not just for me, uh, right? But he came for the whole creation, and he has his own purposes for all things, right? He's he's a king uh, who is not just interested in one citizen, but who is interested in the whole kingdom. Mm. 
Uh, what's what's the danger of making it private? I like I, I think I've used that too. Personal, not private. Yeah. And, and I, I think if, if we make it impersonal, if we lose the for you, the for me of the gospel, I think Lutherans are, are pretty yeah. good at understanding why that's a danger. But what's the danger in making it overly or making it private? Well, then it it uh, it is not for everyone. Right. It is not a uh, I think that it would damage our witness to the world. What we what we have is is not just for the club members. Right. What we have is for everyone, uh, regardless of age and race and all of those other way, you know, demographics that we we split up. Um, Christ's work uh, and the things that he has in store for us, the things of the world to come, uh, touch every person and the um, you could think of it uh, in terms of the benefits, but but even just the, the claims that we make about creation, um, the claims that we make about Judgment Day, these are these are truth claims, if I can use that language, um, that involve us in uh, in in having a universal witness, a- and we don't want that to we don't want to give in to the um, Kind of the prevailing winds of our times, which are, you know, you have your own opinions about what matters in life, and I have my own opinions. But you know, let's not let's not argue over these things. Like we we're not look we're not out there looking for an argument, right? But we do say the witness that we have to share with the world. The church's mission is to proclaim uh, the good news to every creature, hmm. to all creation. Hmm. Well, and and go even so go even farther into that then, I, and I like that that this is a universal witness that we have for everyone. When we when we speak as Christians, when we proclaim the word of God, this is truth for for all. And I I, th- I think we I think we probably know that. Like as as you were answering, you know that well, he didn't just come for the club members; he came for everyone. I think I think yeah. most people, most Christians are going to say sure, but when we start talking about all creation, and now we're talking about mountains and hills and rivers and trees and and everything even <laughs> yeah. non-human creation why is why is even that part of Christ's redemption why is that important for us to hold on to as well um if i i, I said before i i mentioned thinking of jesus as a king uh who who has an interest in the whole kingdom right um the king knows uh this is this is just going to be an analogy here for a minute but the king the king knows that uh his citizens need you know they need to have um pure water and they need to have uh good pasture lands and things like that so a good king is interested not only in you know the the welfare of his people but he knows that the land matters too right um and in the same way or in a similar way christ knows that we are we are part of his creation and so to redeem just people but not to actually um save the whole creation or or uh it, you know that would be what that would we would we would then have sort of this dualism where we want we're trying to escape the world um i'm not sure i'm i'm expressing this uh quite perfectly so help me if i'm if something's not clear but um I think we're on the right track. The the redemption that we are looking forward to, our hope is not to escape the world, but our hope is that all things will be made new, um, including our own bodies, our own souls, our own minds, and then also the the world around us. Right. So the um, the the decay 
um, that we see in the world, um, the way that things tend toward chaos and, um, right, that's the law of entropy. We want those things to be undone too. Um, all of sin's effects in the world, as deep as, as sin has affected um, the animal kingdom, the, the plant life of our world, all of these things, um, we want all of that stuff to be, and it will be, our hope is, um, that all of these things will be um, undone and restored to um, something even greater than Eden. Mm. No, I, and I think I think that was that was helpful. That it, and I'll, I'm not sure if this will clarify or not. But but that to redeem just humanity as separate from the rest of creation wouldn't fit with what God had done in the very beginning. It wouldn't fit yeah, with yeah. with who He has shown Himself to be throughout history from creation onward, and and then also especially in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that He rose from the dead bodily, he showed himself alive to his disciples, he he ate in the presence of his disciples. I mean, all of, and even before that, all of, think of all of his miracles, how he was busy restoring creation in all that he did through his, his preaching, his healing. So, yeah, to, to see a redemption that doesn't include all of creation simply doesn't fit with who God has shown himself to be throughout history. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that, that uh, well, that hope that we have, like the consummation of all things, you you can see this in the in the prophets. There's they're often talking about. Um, they use very poetic language, of course, right? But I don't want to dis- discount that and just say, oh well, this is just a poetic way of talking. Like um, I'm thinking of at the very end of the book of Amos, uh, he talks about the uh, the hills dripping with wine. Okay, is that just is that just poetic to talk about like, well, it's going to be really great, or is there something uh, perhaps even um, literal there that in the you know in the new creation, I'm not saying that there's going to be wine flowing in the rivers, but the the fruitfulness of the whole world is going to be you know beyond what we can what we can even imagine, and that that um, ties back in with. God as the he is the creator and he what he created as good in the beginning he is at work and he will one day um, recreate to be even better hmm. right I don't know how did did you and I talk about that section of Amos were you were you my guest on that one or did I have somebody um, else I don't know I did I did uh, I did the uh, the oracle against Tyre and Sidon with you so <laughs> right okay <laughs> kind of a different thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but but no you're right and and I mean that's just as one example for something that we've looked at here on sharper iron you know the mountains shall drip with with sweet wine it's how how literally we want to take that for the new creation that's uh, maybe we can't say for certain but I I kind of think it, it's probably more literal than we think, especially given what's our Lord's first miracle there in John chapter 2. He's he's changing water into wine. I mean, and I, I think there's sure. there's something to that. I When when I asked you the question earlier about mountains and trees and, and rivers, and, and I can't remember how I listed it now, but but this is in the Psalms about, about yeah. these elements of creation being included in in the praises of God. And so again, all of this is is fitting with what, what Paul's going to talk about here in Romans 8, which I better go ahead and read so that we don't forget to talk about the text itself. Okay, all right. So, so Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30 this morning. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that sees that sorry, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the text for today, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Pastor Apple, the, there's, there's a connection to the, the previous text at the very beginning. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Paul just got done saying that we would suffer with Christ and be glorified. So he's, he's just building off of what he's already said, that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I, I, mean, I think the, the picture there is a, a scale, and, and when you put the sufferings of this present time on one side and you put the glory that's to be revealed to us on the other, the, the glory outweighs the sufferings by far. Right. The, the um, glory, I think this comes through in, uh, in the Hebrew language. The, the Hebrew word for glory is also has some kind of connection with um, weightiness, right? So the glory of the Lord, if you think of like uh, when Solomon builds his temple and the glory, and this might happen in the tabernacle too, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. It's, uh, it's not this sort of misty <laughs> um, cloud that you would just walk through, but it says no one could go in because of the, you know, the overwhelming glory of the Lord and that, that you can see how the mind would connect that with weightiness, right? And so the weight of glory is so, it's almost like this is so heavy, right? We, we talk this way sometimes, that's heavy stuff, right? Mm. Um, the glory that is stored up for us is way heavier than, uh, you know, our present sufferings, which sure feel heavy to us, don't they? Mm. Um, it's almost like, well, this is, these things are just feathers, right? Um, comparatively, to the weight stored up for us. Yeah, they, I mean, the, the sufferings of this age do certainly feel heavy. That that's, I've, I've probably noticed that over the last two months, more yeah. than I ever have. Um, but but a verse like this is is a wonderful thing to to keep in mind. Then, and especially as as Paul, then I, I think this is is part of the hope too, as he expands the the groaning, the suffering. It's not just me suffering this by myself, but I I suffer it as a part of a larger group. And I also receive that redemption as a part of this larger creation as well. And and it seems it seems that he he begins to lay out more of the matter of of the sufferings, and he expands it to that cosmic scale as he talks about the creation in verse nineteen. He, he and I think the creation really remains in view primarily all the way through the beginning of verse twenty three. That's where he starts to turn the corner more again to to us. 
How does he get started talking here about the creation? The creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What is what's creation yeah. looking for? What does that mean? Well, this is uh, we we were sort of around this topic or in our discussion earlier. Um, if you think of um, man, the place of man in the world, um, and go all the way back to creation here, Adam and Eve are made on the sixth day, and they are they have a, a, partic- a particular place and connection with everything that's preceded, right? So the whole creation um, is when God gives Adam the charge, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. This is, um, you could think of it this way. He is, the king is being given his, you know, dominion over his kingdom there, right? So man's place in the world is to be um, the king of the world or the steward uh, has sometimes said that, right? Um, Because God is the king and man is underneath God. But we are connected to the world around us. Um, And so the whole world, um, in the same way that um, citizens of a kingdom long for the day when their king, you know, they'll have the perfect king. um, That is, I think, what Paul is saying here. The whole creation wants to and needs to have um, man in position and in, uh, you know, in a restored form without sin, without corruption, ruling over creation, subduing it, um, having dominion as God intends him to have. So, I mean, the, the idea then is, that, so creation is, is looking for its rightful steward, essentially. That, yeah. And, and yeah. sin, one of the effects of sin on mankind is that we are no longer perfect stewards of creation, which I think sometimes is... I think we might forget that sometimes. We we talk about ourselves as being stewards of creation, but we don't always recognize that we, we don't always know what we're doing, or or we don't always. <laughs> well, I mean, that may not be the right way of phrasing it, but we make no, decisions. No, I think that's right. Well, I mean, and one of the examples when I've when I've talked about this, in, um, it usually comes up in Genesis chapter two, when when the at when the animals come by Adam and he names them all, uh, you know, he gives them the right names because because could you imagine calling a giraffe? a zebra or a zebra, a giraffe. It just wouldn't fit, right? I mean, so Adam knew exactly what, and that perhaps is a bit trivial, but he knew what he was doing when he did that. It wasn't by accident that he gave each of the animals their names. But in our fallen state, in our sinful state, we don't always know what we're doing. We make decisions concerning the stewardship of creation that seem right at the time, but they either have unintended consequences or they have the absolutely wrong. I mean, it was just the wrong thing yeah. to do. Yeah. And, and are the, the effect of, um, the actions of, of humanity on, on other humans, right? You could look at what's happening around us right now and you could mm. have opinions about, okay, did we, do we really know what we're doing? Um, are we making the right decisions? How are, how are our actions, you know, sort of spilling out and, and damaging, um, other people, but also, you know, you could, take this a step further there the ecological um, movement has some things right i think it goes to extremes that really aren't helpful but um, our choices the things that we do do spill over and touch the world around us Mm. Um, both for good it can be done well and also uh, for for corruption or for decay so creation then is is looking for this is longing for the the return of 
of humankind. A king, a king. Yeah. right, right. We'll, and, go, we'll go for Tolkien here, right? The return sure. of the king. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, oh, we, we only have three minutes on this side of the break, and, and <laughs> probably that's a tangent that it's been a while since I've read the books or, or watched the movie, frankly, but I know that there's that's a theme that you get, especially in the third one and throughout with the the character of, of Aragorn and, and the way that he he's able to what stands out in my mind is the way he's able to use uh king's foil the the what's considered yeah. a weed for the, the purposes yeah. of healing right i don't you right. could go that tangent if you want for a couple for a minute or two no no we'll, okay we'll all right that's okay okay no no but i mean yeah so so and and the the king i think you're you're right to say the king has returned in christ we want to we want to see that mm-hmm. that that god is king and he reigns in the person of of jesus christ continually and so so the creation is still longing that for that to be revealed in us now here on earth. And, and and Paul continues then in verse, let's go into verse 20 before we go to the break, that that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Take us, take us into what has happened to creation because of man's fall into sin. Yeah, so I think here you have, uh, he's describing um, Adam's sin, right? So Adam's sin um brings about um, the judgment of the earth. You can think of the curse, especially that you can think of the curse spoken to Eve, right? That she'll have pain in childbearing. Um, there's a there's an aspect there where sin um, distorts the relation between man and woman, right? So Eve will, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. There is sort of that proverbial battle of the sexes that um, goes on. But then when God comes to Adam, uh, the curse is uh, spoken over the ground, right? Instead of um, bearing fruit for you, it will bear thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, uh, you will eat bread. So um, what ought to have been um, a, a sheer joy, the labor that Adam would have had, is now going to be uh, marked with the cross or marked with thorns and thistles, right? And so creation itself, the land, is under a curse. It's subjected um, as part of uh, the curse that's come on on Adam. Mm, right, right. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We are looking at the middle of Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, May 13th. We're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, with Pastor David Appold of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we, we left off talking about creation and its bondage under sin. And Paul talks about creation groaning groaning together in the mm-hmm. pains of childbirth until now. And you've got that that bird over your shoulder there as you're sitting outside talking to me. 
what what's going on with I mean that doesn't sound like groaning what what's <laughs> right. what's creation groan it's I think that's a, a, a fantastic ambiance that we've got going on with you being outside this morning so what what's going on with this creation groaning that that theme carries itself through the text a little farther than just yeah. that one verse sure yeah when the birds are chirping it's it and I, I'm looking at my um, backyard here the sun is shining it's it doesn't seem like creation is groaning all that much but um, the the connection that Paul is making here is um, it's I don't know I don't want to say that he's pessimistic but there's this um, realistic look at the world and it's saying he it's almost um, personifying the world the whole world's in labor pains right and it is in labor um, you can see this in the way that if you look at the kind of what happens to in nature um, nature is not just birds chirping and the sun shining um, it's pretty brutal right the survival of the fittest kind of thing that does have uh, that is the way that most of nature works if you watch the nature documentaries um, you can see everything is whoever is the most powerful whoever is the strongest dominates in a in a bad way um, those who are less that's the law of nature um, so that is part of the groaning is that there's um, the law of death, the law of corruption, the law of decay is at work, even in the beautiful um, creation all around us. Yeah, I, I think this, this verse often gets referenced during times of hurricane, of tornado, sure. what we might call, quote, natural disasters. That's often how it gets labeled, that this is evidence of, of creation groaning, creation not working the way that mm -hmm. God intended it, where you see that that God's declaration, it is good, it is very good, is something's not quite right in, in, right now. And that's the, the creation groaning, groaning together in this pains of childbirth and, and all looking forward to something. And, and Paul brings that out particularly as he makes the move in verse 23, that it's not only creation at large that's groaning, but it's we ourselves. And, and he says, we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan. What that phrase, first fruits of the spirit, what's Paul getting at there? Yeah, he he talks about this in his epistles elsewhere too. He uses the same language or similar language that the the Holy Spirit is sort of the um I think he, he uses this um in Ephesians. I know it's there, the down payment. So the Holy Spirit is the um is the down payment of the future glory. So we do not see the glorious future we have it in promise right but we do we have received the, the spirit of god the spirit of adoption that he uh, talked about in the the prior verses and so the first fruits we are the first fruits of the full harvest which is going to come at the end um, but now we don't necessarily see that with our eyes there is a um, a renewal that happens right um, having been justified the spirit is at work sanctifying us um, and it's not um, it's not completely invisible but there is still the overlap right there's the um, maybe this is a good way to get to it there we live in the overlap between um, the old age that is under decay and bondage and also the beginning of the new age which has come um, right in the person of Christ and now is um, being given to us through the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the day, the day will come when we will no longer be in the overlap of those two, what do you want to call them, ages, or those two um, 
yeah, I, I think that's the traditional way of talking of it. Um, but the old age will will finally be gone, and everything will be in the new age. And, and I think it stood out to me just reading it right now again that it it's it's those who have the first fruits of the spirit who who are the ones who are groaning. That mm-hmm. Christians are the ones that are groaning, not not just everybody at large, but Christians particularly. And I it's precisely because I think as you laid out that we we do live in that overlap, that we know this old age is passing away, and we've gotten this down payment, this guarantee of the new, and we long for that. And so that that's where the the groaning comes in. Yeah. I, I mean, I was I was recalling Jesus in the Beatitudes, the one that stood out to me is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That Christians are those who really are the only ones that can rightly mourn, because we know what it's supposed to be in Christ, and we've gotten a foretaste of it, but but notice, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. And there's the hope, which is where where Paul goes, and that that hope is is evident throughout this passage. What's the what's the role of hope as Paul lays it out here in Romans eight? Yeah, well, he so he comes to that after this great description of the the glorious liberty. I just that phrase is so great, isn't it? The glorious liberty of the children of God. That is what we hope for, not just you know. The advance of technology, or I, you know, I don't know what other hopes. If you're if you're not a Christian, there's plenty of other hopes that you put out there, right? But the the biblical hope is the glorious liberty of God's children. Um, and then he, but then he brings it to the the practical point, right? Which is to say, okay, what does that future hope, or that it's a present hope, but what is this consideration of the future? Um, what does it do presently, right? And um, he says that it it gives us patience, right? So he talks about um, you know who would hope for what they already see, right? If you're uh, if you're out for a jog and you're you know the finish line is or you know where you know you know where your house is, you don't hope to get to your house when you're already there. But as you're jogging and you're on your third mile or or whatever, and uh, you you think about okay, I know I've got one more mile left, I can make it. Right? It gives you that patience, that endurance. I like the the running analogy here for that reason. Um, the as we as Christians reflect on this, and it we do have to reflect on it because it's not immediately obvious to us. Um, but as we consider the future glory that is stored up for us, it doesn't just lead to, oh man, this world is it's just no good. Um, it's not what it should be. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to depression, uh, but it leads to what he says here is patience or endurance or long suffering. Mm. And I think, I think this helps inform what we were talking about earlier too, when it comes to the stewardship of creation, that we don't, we don't always know what we're doing. But it, it's not like the, the Christian way of looking at that is not, okay, we don't know what we're doing, so we're just going to give up. But but rather, since we have this hope, we do continue to, to seek to be the stewards God has called us to be in this hope, recognizing that, that even if we mess it up royally, that God is going to finally renew—I mean, does that make sense what I'm trying to get at? That, that this hope is not some kind of—we're not trying to escape— this world, or, or yeah, right. get a, we're we're tr- we're looking forward to God's renewal of this world, which gives us hope as we live in a broken world right now. Yeah, I think the um, when you think about heaven and you talk about heaven with with folks, sometimes it can 
it can kind of have this, um, the opposite effect that you wanted it to have. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever found this as a pastor, Tim, but inst- you, you want, you're trying to give people, you, you want people to have this hope so that they um, are comforted in the present sufferings and, and helped kind of like a shot in the arm uh, instead of like despair. But I don't know if you've ever found this, um, that sometimes people will hear the, the glory of heaven and it will only further emphasize like, I wish I was there. You know, I want to get it. It's that, that escapism is a, a, a kind of sneaky temptation, right? That the Christian hope is to just finally, I just want to escape it all. And I, I mean, I understand that because I go through the same struggles myself, right? I mean, there are times and days where you just like, man, I wish we could just be done with this. Um, but what Paul is really pressing at here is not to say, let's just escape the groanings, right? But we consider the glories so that we may press on, um, so that we can keep running the race presently, knowing that um, we are not running in vain, right? That we, he's going to come eventually in Romans here uh, in eight, we are more than conquerors, right? It's not just that we escape, but we are actually in the process of um, of being more than conquerors, although, right, that's hidden, hidden from us now. Uh, we have that in promise form. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, there's a line probably between that, that sort of, I mean, where you fall into escapism rather than this, this groaning, this longing for what God has promised that we would, that we would see it, that we would experience it in full rather than living in this, this overlap. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, of what Luther says in the catechism concerning the seventh petition, deliver us from evil. That, that we're praying that God would rec- rescue us from all these evils, all this, this suffering that we're talking about, this, this war that's wage, it's raging inside of us, all, all these things that Paul's talking yeah. about. And, and, and so we're, we're praying for that right now, all the while recognizing that it's finally going to be made full when Christ returns. And, and, and when we're out of this valley of sorrow, this, this creation that has been broken by our sin— and God renews it, he recreates it, and and it's even it's not just a return to Eden, but it's it's Eden surpassed. So I mean, yeah, there's 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 certainly a there's a point though where where we can sort of fall off into this escapism to I, I don't know if there's a, a better way to talk about it, but but where we're just sort of like, take me out of it. Well, no, not exactly. Take me to you, return, make things right. And that that's I think that's yeah. the difference, is is that looking forward to Christ and his return or just saying, I'm, I'm tired of all this. I'm ready to be done. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it, right? There's, there's a difference between saying, um, I want the present situation to get better. That's the biblical hope that everything will get better and be taken up into glory here versus I just want to be done with it. And, and I'm not saying that, I mean, again, I think part of that is just as you experience sufferings and the cross, nobody says like, boy, this sure is fun. You know, <laughs> there is there is just a, a very human expression. And the Psalms give voice to this, too, like the laments that come. It's, that's not a mark of unfaithfulness. It's but you don't want to, to um, remain there or or to just say, well, let's just let's just get rid of it all, mm. because the hope is right that that all of the things, all of the um, internal stuff, our own will, 
will be totally transformed and the the world around us and the, the sinful effects in the world around us will also be undone uh, when Christ returns and the Spirit, um, you know, recreates the new heavens and earth. Mm, right, right. So just to keep moving in the text then, so that we get through it all, because there's, there's so much mm-hmm. stuff here. Paul then starts talking about the Spirit helping us in our weakness. And I, I think these are pretty familiar verses, words that we turn to for comfort. The Spirit, Paul has said, is is the one dwelling inside of you earlier in this chapter. And now this this indwelling Spirit is going to help us in our weakness. And, and we get that word groaning, at least in English. I'm not positive it's the same word in Greek. But there is, there is this, at least it seems a bit of a connection, that creation is groaning, we have groaned, and, and yet the Spirit is, is groaning for us. He's, he's interceding for us. Take us into this work of the Spirit there in verses 26 and 27. Yeah, the, it's great because you have, the trip, you have the creation groaning, we groan, and even the Spirit groans with us um, because, and the reason why we need that is because uh, you've mentioned this a couple times, we don't really know one, what we're doing all the time. We might think that we're experts and masters, but our knowledge is not universal. It's not complete. And so there's always uh, something in our decision-making process that is, um, you know, that's not perfect. And then in our prayers, and I think every Christian will be familiar with this struggle of, I just, I'd I'd like to, I want to pray for um, myself. I want to pray for my family, for my church, for the world around me. But I look around and I I just, I don't know what to pray for. You know, I, I, I know some of the things to pray for, but surely there's more that I should be praying for. And uh, I think what, what's helpful here is to see that, yes, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us um, when we don't know what to say, right? Because there are some things that are that are way beyond us, that are bigger kind of suffering than we can really grasp. And the, but the Spirit does, and He, um, this is connected somewhat to Christ as our High Priest, right? We have a High Priest at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us, and His Spirit dwells in us, and even the Spirit intercedes for us. Um, there's something. There's an amazing um, kind of solidarity there, isn't there? That the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Um, I don't know that he is, I I don't want to say that he's um, suffering. Um, God doesn't suffer the pains of this creation in the same way we do, but he is, he does stand in with us here. Um, You you see what I'm saying? And he uh, feels the, the, the groanings of the world around us. And actually he longs for the same thing that creation is longing for and the same thing that Christians are longing for. I mean, that's an amazing hope, isn't it? That our groanings are not just, you know, our own prayers, but that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has this same petition to the Father. Um, Surely God is not going to deny his own spirit. Yeah, the the solidarity of the—and this is—I don't know that we always—at least I don't always think about this—the solidarity of the Holy Spirit with the Christian. I usually think of it in terms of in terms of Jesus' solidarity with the Christian, yeah. because he's our brother. He's he is a man just like us, except without sin. But but this is Jesus' Spirit, the one that he has mm-hmm. sent to dwell in us. I'm, I'm thinking of of we're hearing it right now during the Easter season. All these texts from from John's Gospel about the sending of the Holy Spirit, the the Paraclete, which. You know that we can translate that word comforter or helper or counselor or advocate all these all these words for who the Holy Spirit is for us 
And and what's I mean that that solidarity that he has with us then is I mean you see it even previously in Romans eight, uh, was it verse fifteen where the Spirit is the one by whom we cry Abba Father, and when when Paul uses a very similar turn of phrase in Galatians chapter four he says it's the Spirit in us who cries so the the Spirit is offering this prayer at the same time we're offering this prayer. And this, yeah. I mean, this really is a, a great comfort to us as Christians that, because like you said, we, as I, yeah, we don't know what to pray for. I mean, but God knows what we're praying, and he's, he's praying. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. And this is, I think, related to Christ's role as our high priest, the one who intercedes for us as well. And and to know that also the Holy Spirit, and we can't do math on on the Holy Trinity, <laughs> but but the yeah. Spirit is praying for us. Jesus is praying for us, and the Father is hearing these prayers. I mean, this is just a profound comfort. Yeah, maybe we can we can take some solace in saying uh, it's a mystery, right? Right. But it's but it's a mystery that invites us in, and uh, that invites us to to dwell on it and to think that. I mean, Im- imagine this because it's not you're not uh, playing pretend when you do that. The Holy Spirit um, is praying that the Son of God is praying for the church for his for the creation um and that god the father loves to hear these things right we don't want to think of it as the father saying yeah yeah guys i know i've got it okay but that there is this internal dialogue um in the trinity and the father loves to hear the son and the spirit and and we're caught up in that uh in our intercessions and prayers i mean that's a that's a great way to maybe think about the the role of the church praying um, corporately, um, you know, that's a, a very uh, public manifestation of this, that the church prays for the whole world around us. And as we do so, we are, um, you know, we're connected to the spirit, to the son, um, to the throne of the father. I mean, that's a, that can maybe help a person who says, uh, pastor, I really like being in church, but sometimes the prayers go on for too long. <laughs> I'm sure that, that people have, I've heard that. And I felt it myself. Um, but this is what we're doing. We're we're connecting ourselves to the Spirit and the Son and the Father. Right. I mean, yeah. And that's why verse 27, it talks, I think, about the Father answering or hearing the prayer. He who searches the yeah. heart, who hearts. This is God. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit, the Spirit interesting. So so the entire Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is is praying, hearing our prayers, and and it all comes together. And I think Paul in verse twenty-eight, where he he starts, I think, to go back then toward what he where we started this section, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now in verse twenty-eight, he, he even says that that all things even now, even in these sufferings, are working together for good. And I think that that good is ultimately bringing us to that glory to be revealed. And, yep. and so, I mean, verse 28, it seems, is, is starting to function. It functions almost as a, a, a hinge here between what he's been talking about and then moving us on. And, of course, verse 28 is is one of those Hallmark greeting—not uh, Hallmark, it's not the right thing, but but you know what I'm saying. It's it's one of those verses yep. that gets pulled out, put on posters, cards, etc., for comfort, and then certainly comfort— but it's always good with verses like that to make sure we see them in their context to understand the fullness yep. of what's there. So help us with verse 28 a little while. Yeah, we know that for all, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So um, I think it's if, if we can be 
I don't know how much time we have here, Tim, but um, the goodness of the things that are happening to us, the goodness even of our sufferings um, is important for us to point out here um, that none of our sufferings are um, without purpose, right? Without value. We, we don't always see that, see that the value of these things. I, there's a, a really helpful distinction. Luther talks about this in um, the bondage of the will. Some of our listeners may be familiar with that book, but he says, um, there are kind of three lights that a person can look on um, the things that happen in the world around us, the light of nature. And if you judge things by the light of nature, um, you might conclude that nothing is happening for our good, right? Because you cannot see why are our sufferings, what is the good of, of the suffering of the Christian or even of, uh, of the non-Christian, right? Um, but then he says, um, you, you can also look at things in the light of God's grace. So through what's been revealed in God's word, we see um, that God is not a God who is, um, you know, far off, but he is near, that he is not uncaring, but that he has sent his own son for us. And if he's given us his son, um, he's proven his love for us. We trust him completely. Um, and then the third light is the light of glory. And in the light of glory, we will look back and we will be able to see perfectly you know, the good that came out of, of everything. Um, and, and a lot of times we want that kind of light right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, how many times do we look at, at, um, you know, difficult times in our lives and say, well, but I saw this good thing that came out of it. And that's, and that there's, that's a good thing to do, right? You, you want to learn from the discipline that you receive. Um, but you can't always, Right. And so I would just say there are still times we are not yet in glory. There are still times where we have to say, I don't know what the good is that's come out of this. But I, you know, this verse um, teaches me to trust God um, and I have the light of his grace. I don't need to doubt and, um, you know, complain unduly that God is, you know, forsaken me or something like that. Mm, right. I as you were talking there, I was reminded, it's a slightly different context, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul has that thorn, and he prays three times for it to be removed, yeah. and, and the answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. And and in this time, that that's true, that that light of grace is sufficient. So and we've, we've got just about five minutes left, Pastor Apple, and I know we want to talk a little bit here about these final verses, because you get terms like foreknowledge, pre, or foreknew, predestined, foreknowledge, predestination, some maybe difficult topics to talk about. Yeah, this is a pretty important verse. So help us into that topic with about five minutes. Yeah, so we've got, these are great words, um, maybe, I don't know, jargon. I, they shouldn't be jargon, they're biblical words. So these are words for, for every Christian to know and, and to be comforted by, right? God's, God's word and, and his doctrine is never meant to, um, you know, to harm us or to do, <laughs> to do something bad to us. It's not meant to make us, um, you know, it's, it's not meant to confuse us, but, but some of these things may be confusing. So um, you get this term that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And so I think it's, it's helpful to see like, okay, here is one way to connect this with the preceding verses. Remember, we had heard the, the creation is waiting for the, the revelation of the sons of God, the revelation of our glorious liberty. Um, what will that be like? Well, we will be perfectly conformed to the sun. So you, if you want to know what the future holds, you, you look at, um, you know, the resurrected Christ and there you can see, uh, this is what God's uh, intent is for his 
his people, right? For for huma humanity. Um, but then you have a little bit of the the steps. I don't know if that's the right way to think of it, Tim. But the the steps along the way, right? So you have first of all, he predestines us, he calls us, he justifies us, he glorifies us, and you can see in all of that. Um, in all of those steps in the process, who is the one who's taking the action and the initiative? Um, he, right? God. So this is where we might use a, another fancy term, and I'll just throw this one in at the end, um, monergism, right? It is God alone who works these things in us, um, and his divine grace is what motivates all of this, not anything in me. Mm. With just about two more minutes, Pastor Appled, wrap things up for us. Hit any points you, you want to dig into further. Just wrap it up. Give us the, the comfort of this text. Oh, the com yeah, I think that's a great way to, to wrap it up. The, the present sufferings that we are experiencing, and the, there's some very obvious ones going on in the world around us right now, the sicknesses, the unemployment, um, just the, the frustration, the groaning that is at work in the world around us. Um, it's helpful to to remember and to and to really <laughs> trust this that these sufferings are not worth comparing with what is laid up for us, and that's not that doesn't mean that we don't feel them, that we don't go through them, that we don't groan as we go through them. I mean, and the Spirit Himself groans with us as we go through these things. But the future glory is um, surpassing anything that we have. And so this hope that we have as Christians is, um, is not something that we want to take lightly. Um, we don't want to become so uh, absorbed in the present suffering that we forget the hope that we have and lose patience, lose endurance, um, because that is what God calls us to, is to live in hope, uh, faith, hope, and love. Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Pastor Appold, thank you for your time today. Yes, my pleasure. The sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Put them on a scale. The glory far outweighs the suffering. Yes, we groan right now. We groan along with all creation. But in Christ Jesus, God has redeemed all creation. And we know that in everything, he is working for our good. That is our hope, knowing that he, he is doing it all. He justified, he glorified. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.